2 Kings chapter 6. I draw your attention to this great miracle of the Old Testament. And <clears throat> how many of you believe the miracles of the Bible? Well, yeah. oh, this is a great miracle. Really, the, the axe head began to swim. We're going to read it. Do you remember a couple of years ago, some of you perhaps will recall, that the, the Mr. Coffee Makers that were being sold nationwide, they were all being recalled because they said the, the temperature of the coffee was not right. Lukewarm. This thought, oh, would to God that we could recall all of the children of God whose temperature is not right. Lukewarm. I remind you that the Lord of the church in Revelation indicted the church of Laodicea when he said, you're lukewarm. I would prefer that you were hot or cold but because you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. The greatest threat to Christianity, it's not the atheist who don't believe in God. It's not the humanist that uh, think that man is God. It's not even the cultists who have warped, twisted perspectives about God. No. No, no, the greatest threat <clears throat> to Christianity is an unexcited, droopy, sluggish, lackadaisical, lazy, apathetic. Can you help me with some other words here? <laughs> Laid back, sloppy, spiritless, joyless. Christian. Mm. But there's nothing more dynamic, nothing more powerful than a believer that is in love with Jesus, filled with his spirit. The joy of the Lord that just oozes from their heart and from their life. Let me read to you this great miracle. Aside from the tremendous miracle that it is, I want to apply a principle into our lives. Second Kings chapter 6. Look with me at the first seven verses. I'm reading from the King James this morning, and uh, you can follow along. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the PowerPoint. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now the place where we dwell who with thee is too small for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take there every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam... The axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, 
for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither. And the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and he took it. As I mentioned to you, aside from the incredible miracle, this historical biblical miracle has up-to-date truth and application for our lives. Let's briefly examine the story and let me make uh, some applications. God was moving by his spirit across the land and Elisha had established a school for the prophets, training and teaching. And it became crowded and they needed an expansion. They needed to extend their borders. The story zeroes in on this one young man who was very aggressive and desiring to work for God. And he had made a couple of major mistakes. Number one, he borrowed, everybody say borrowed, (laughs) an ax head. I hate to borrow anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then second, he made a major mistake in that he didn't check the ax head to the handle. But while he's cutting the wood with the ax, the ax head flies off separates from the handle, goes into the water. Now, he's got several options. He could have pretended that the ax head was still there. He could have increased the momentum of his swing and hoped that nobody would recognize or observe it. But he did the sensible thing. He cried out to the prophet, I've lost my my ax head. I've lost my cutting edge. Now, listen, we're all in the process of building the kingdom of God and serving the Lord in this journey of faith. And we've got to have a cutting edge in our life. A couple of things I want to share with you right quick. Number one, probe with me the question, what is the cutting edge in our walk with God? What is the ax head? You've got to have the cutting edge in your life if you're going to make an impact in any way for the kingdom of God. What does this ax head represent to you and me? I might ask you, what is it that causes trees to crumble, that gets the job done? I want to suggest to you that it's not simply education, though I've been involved in education in a number of ways. It's not just the process of accumulating more knowledge. Correct doctrinal orthodoxy is is essential. But I want to tell you, you can be biblically right and spiritually dead. No, and it's not even a willing worker. In the service of the Lord, you can, have, you can be a faithful soldier of the Lord and be committed to the kingdom of God, and yet you can be part of the frozen chosen. Your cutting edge is not your talent. It's not simply your ability or your commitment to Christ. One look at the New Testament church in the book of Acts reveals to us They had the cutting edge. They had that that caused results to be manifested. What was the source of their pungent, powerful lives that transformed the world in which they lived that the people said, these are the men and women that are turning the world upside down. As they marched, demons cried for mercy. Heathenism began to vanish. 
The powerful name of Jesus was planted and marked upon that generation. In fact, by the end of the, well, the book of Acts covers 30 to 33 years, but by the end of the first century, over 10% of the entire Roman Empire had been swept into the kingdom of God from these little groups of, of non-descript men and women that were touched by God's power. I want to tell you something. When you just read the book of Acts, 51 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts. You want to know what the cutting edge is? In the third chapter of the book of Acts, there's an incredible story of a man that was lame that sat at one of the gates into the temple. The Jews observed three different hours in prayer time, at 9 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and then 6 o'clock in the evening. The New Testament church not only accepted the Jewish times of prayer, they added a couple of other times of prayer themselves. But in the middle of the afternoon, at Gate Beautiful, which Josephus, the historian, tells us it's the most magnificent, beautiful gate in the entire temple. It was made of Corinthian bronze. It took about 20 men to open or close its leaves. And here is this man, lame, and never walked a day in his life, 40 years, and he's sitting begging for alms, thinking that perhaps these people sensitive to God and maybe have compassion for people that people would give. And here comes these two <laughs> penniless preachers. And Peter looks at him and says, as he's begging alms, silver and gold, have I none? But such as I have, give I unto thee. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, that's really all we've got to offer this generation. It's just such as we have. The question is, what is it that we're offering? A good program, it won't cut it. Talent, it won't cut it. Just having sermonettes to Christianettes won't get the, won't get the, the job done. What, what, what's the cutting edge? Such as I have. I tell you what, if we'll get a good dose of what he had and load it up in our wagon, we got it made. Because from his life, as he reached out and took this lame man, he leaped to his feet and went walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. 5,000 men were converted because of that one supernatural miracle of God. What was the cutting edge? What was it that came from their life? It's no big mystery when you read it. It's the resurrected life of Jesus that's made real by the power of the Holy Spirit that comes alive in the life of a believer, just ordinary people that are filled with the presence and the power of God. Something begins to happen when God's power and God's presence, you talk about cutting edge people, I'm telling you something, that's the cutting edge. So the second thing is not only what the cutting edge is, it makes the emphatic statement, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the cutting edge. We come in this building this morning, and if we don't have the presence of the resurrected Jesus, if we don't have the power of the Holy Ghost, we're wasting our time. When you read the Bible, it's the presence and the power of God. This last week, I, I read again <clears throat> the, of Moses who was given the instructions in the building of the tabernacle there in the wilderness. 
And God gave him this elaborate structure and how to put it together and all the materials. Let, let me read to you after he, Moses had done it according to the word of the Lord. Exodus 40 and verse 34 tells us this. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, I will tell you, that's, that's it. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because of the cloud that abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they journeyed not until the day it was taken up. The cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the, of Israel, the house of Israel throughout their journeys. For 14 to 1500 years in Old Testament history, that's why they packed and built their homes and their places around the tabernacle because that was the center presence of where God's power and God's presence was. And then you fast forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and 7 when Solomon and the materials that had been gathered and he built that elaborate incredible facility of the temple in the Old Testament. And after Solomon had built it and dedicated it, listen to these words. I'm, I'm talking to you about the cutting edge. 2 Chronicles 6, verse 40. My God, let, and listen to Solomon's prayer, I beseech thee, he's praying, thine eyes be open. Let thy ears be attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place. Thou in the ark of thy strength, let the priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in goodness. And you jump into chapter 7, verse 1. And when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down. And it consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. You read in the book of Samuel, Saul. You know, he became a different man when the Spirit of God came upon his life. In fact, he prophesied with the prophets. Samson, contrary to how the artists have depicted him, he was not some Charles Atlas. He wasn't some Hulk. If he was, the Philistines wouldn't have been standing around scratching their heads saying, where in the world does he get this power? This guy was able to lean into the gates of the city of Gaza and pull them out of the earth and carry them 10 miles uphill. Whew. They ask him, where, where, where is the source of your power, your strength? Well, the Bible tells us it was the spirit of the Lord. The disciples gathered in that upper room in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us that just 50 days before this, they denied Christ. But suddenly now in that upper room, they're filled with something that lifts them above all of their failings, all of their shortcomings. 
And I'm telling you something, even though the political world of the day was against them, the social world considered them anathema, the intellectual world looked down upon them, and how many of you know the underworld didn't think very much of them? But I'm telling you, when they staggered out of that upper room, touched by the infusion of the power of the Spirit of God, even Peter, who had denied Jesus 50 days before, that most of us would wonder whether or not we ought to shake the hands of this guy. I'm telling you something, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, and there's something about the cutting edge of God's Spirit. <clears throat> you can have programs, personality displays, beautiful buildings, plush pews, but oh God, the cutting edge of your presence, the cutting edge of your power. Oh, we've got to have it. Did you know that Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and verse 18 were familiar with the passage where Paul said, Do not be drunk with wine. Wherein is excess, but it's a command. But be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't let the world intoxicate your life. And that could be sports and, and activities or a lot of things. But be filled with the Spirit. Incidentally, this passage, the Greek verbiage is, is fantastic. First of all, this is written in an imperative verb. In other words, it's, it's imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not be filled with the Spirit. It's not optional. It's a command. It's an obligation. And the second thing in the Greek verbiage, it's in the continual sense. Actually, when you read this passage more correctly from the Greek, it should, be, it should say, be being filled with the Spirit. So the issue is not have you been filled with the Spirit, but are you being filled with the Spirit of God on a continual basis? So the question is not, have you been filled with the Spirit? It's, are you being filled with the Spirit? Man, listen to God's promise from Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. For the promise is unto you, and it's to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as the Lord our God shall call. Mm. As Christians, we need to be experiencing the power of God's presence on a daily basis, moving and working and flowing in our life. Here's the third thing I want to say. Yeah, the cutting edge, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the tough. Can I be painfully honest? You can lose the cutting edge. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm not talking about losing, losing out, going to hell. No. I had someone sometime back ask me, said, David, are you filled with the Spirit? I said, well, sometimes. <laughs> Incidentally, I might mention to you, there's some real truth there. Have you ever noticed that in Acts chapter 2, the 120 in the upper room, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit? In fact, the Scripture says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, the very some of the very same ones that were there in Acts chapter 2, and were filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, it says that all of those that were gathered in that occasion of worship, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you know there's a gap between chapter 2 and chapter 4? And there was a time period. It reveals something very glaring about all of our lives. You leak. Yeah. <laughs> we all leak. 
We live in a world beating against us from every side. It just literally drains our spiritual well. There's constant things around us that, that pull and, uh, and, and, and just, we, we leak. A lot of us are we're, we're like the, what was it I heard about the grandfather that uh, was, uh, he came in the house and was laying on the couch and taking a nap. And his grandkids came in, they saw him laying over there sleeping, and they went to the refrigerator and they brought in some Limburger cheese. <laughs> and he had a beard kind of like Ron's here this morning. They, they took that Limburger cheese and they stuck it on his mustache. Pretty soon he woke up. He says, it stinks in this living room. <laughs> he walked into the bathroom. He said, this bathroom stinks. Walked into the kitchen. He said, this kitchen stinks. He walked outside. He said, the whole world stinks. <laughs> hey, hey, when the stink's on you. <laughs> Moving right along here. Hey, Samson became careless. He played fast and loose with God's presence upon his life. He toyed with the anointing. He lost the sense of God's presence and God's anointing upon his life. Saul, the man that had been filled with the Spirit and had prophesied, he allowed bitterness and disobedience to God and jealousy begin to come into his life. He became mean-spirited and, and hard to get along with and wanted to murder David. Let me tell you something. I travel all over this country and I find that a lot of Christians and even some preachers are mean-spirited. They're angry, critical spirit. People who once flowed in the anointing and knew the power of God. And I'm not being super critical. I'm just saying there's something about the cutting edge. It'll release all of that nonsense and get it out of your life. David, even, even the psalmist David knew what it was to sense the presence and the power of God and the sweet singer of Israel, but because of adultery and murder and the things that he allowed to come into his life, he lost the cutting edge. Listen to these words. You're familiar with this. This is after Nathan the prophet came to him, and it's in Psalms 51. I want you just to read the superscription just above it. Look at this just before we read a few of the verses. To the chief musician, a psalm of David... When Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba, here's what happens when you coddle sin and compromise with the nonsense and allow the world to suck you dry and take your cutting edge. And in verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God. How many of you say it's good to pray for God's mercy? Lord, According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Oh, people, I'm not only telling you that you can lose it, but I'm telling you how you can get it back. Oh, God, he said, take care of this thing. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly for my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Verse 10, I love this statement. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. 
renew a right spirit. Come on, everybody. You know what? Why don't you just pray that verse 10 right there? Look at that verse 10. Say that. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. And then verse 11, I love what he says, cast me not away from your presence. And Lord, listen to this. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's as if David was saying, Lord, you can take my throne. You can have my crown. You can take all. I'll tell you what. If you've ever walked in the anointing of God's presence, if you've you've ever known the presence and the power and the joy of the cutting edge of God working in your life, there's nothing in this world, no houses, lands, possessions, nonsense. I'm telling you, oh God, I've got to have your spirit. I've got to have your presence in my life. Verse 12, Lord, restore Restore, Lord, to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with your free spirit. God, give me my cutting edge back. How many of you know he got it back? I might mention to you, if you'll chronologically look at David's Psalms that he was inspired after his sin, it's amazing the continuous lyrics in his singing. Your mercies... (laughs) Endure forever. (laughs) Oh, I tell you what. We all were singing this morning about how God's goodness follows us. How many of you know the goodness of God follows us? I used to tease Jeannie. I can't do it anymore. She knows about it. We'd be driving up the highway, and I'd say, somebody's following us, and Jeannie would turn around. There wasn't a car in sight. And I looked at her, and I said, goodness and mercy are following us. God's chasing us down, and he pours buckets of honey and love all over the top of us. Now, let me close by telling you this. Recovery, we're going to recover the the cutting edge. This is the last thing I want to tell you. I've got good news for you. If you're sitting here this morning, and in the back of your mind, there's a pushing knowledge, as I've shared that says all that you used to have and all that you want to have and all that you know you need to have, you don't have. But there's a panting in your spirit. There's something within your heart that says, oh, I, I, I want this. If your prayer life has become cold and your even church attendance and your work for God is a drudgery and you've lost the freshness and the sense of God's presence, just as David got his song back, just as Samson's hair began to grow and he, re- he got a restoration of, his pres- uh, of God's presence in his life. So the question comes, well, how? How do we make recovery? Well, I'll tell you what. It's as simple as ABC. Everybody say ABC. Here's your alphabet today. Here it is. Number one, admit the loss. Did you notice that the young man with Elisha, he didn't try to compensate or justify it. He simply came to the prophet of God and he said, I've lost the cutting edge. How many of you know it doesn't take a genius to look at the end of the axe handle and tell whether or not the axe head's gone? And I'll tell you what, 
It doesn't take a genius to look at our lives or be around us very long to know whether or not there's a spiritual cutting edge. The words that we speak, the attitude that flows from our life, the way that we live, the whole environment of our living will tell whether or not there's a cutting edge. Oh, we've got to have a cutting edge. I walked, Jeannie and I were traveling and I was, I had tennis shoes and Levi's, a pullover t-shirt and walked in to where we were going to spend the night. Three guys were sitting at a card table and they're having their beer and they're playing cards. And when I walked in the door, the guy said, well, why are you so happy? I said, oh, you want me to tell you? He said, well, I don't know. I walked over, paid for the night. When I turned around, he said, well, go ahead and tell us. We know you want to tell us. I said, oh, man, I'm sure glad you asked. I walked over, pulled one of the chairs out, put my foot up on the thing. And I said, guys, I want to tell you something. <laughs> I said, if you really want joy that overflows in your life, you're not going to find it in the contents of that can, money. You'll find it in a relationship. Well, at first they thought I was talking about a woman. I said, no, his name is Jesus. When I said that, this one guy slapped the table, the cards started going. He said, oh my God, I always ask the wrong questions. I said, no, you asked the right question. I stood there and began to share with them. They told me that actually there was a guy that, that they played in. A, I didn't know they were uh, artists that, that played in nightclubs. And they said, you know, we had a guy that was part of our team and he got this religion thing. He acts just like you. I said, yeah, he's got the same spirit. Stood there, these guys, there were no walls, there were no barriers. Let me tell you, there's a world out here, people that are thirsty and hungry for a reality to know the power and presence of God. We don't have to be religious. We don't have to be churchy. Just let the cutting edge, let the presence of God come alive in your life. Admit the loss. That's really, that's, that's, the, first, that's the first thing. Second, B, A is admit. B, be willing to go back where you lost it. The prophet asked him, where did you lose it? Hmm, maybe back to repent for allowing everything in this world to come in and you're, separate you from your relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's, go back where you lost it. Maybe it's to go to somebody and say, you know what? I was a stupid jerk for saying what I did. Forgive me. I talked to someone this week. And I said, You've allowed, you allowed a whole bunch of garbage to build up in your mind that developed a false reality. And I said, and you're just acting out what you think they think and what they believe. You're dead wrong. In a few minutes, they repented. I said, now clear this up. They got a hold of the person, settled the issue. Where did you lose it? Where, 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 let the whole, hey, the Holy Spirit knows how to bring it to your, to your attention. Where'd you lose it? For some of us, it's just a simple thing of saying, hey, it's a matter of getting my priorities back in line of what God wants me to do. And then C, claim your miracle. Well, how do you claim it? 
Well, the axe head will begin to swim. In fact, notice when you read the story, there's a divine side and there's a human side. The divine side is Elisha cut down a tree and he threw it in the muddy Jordan. And the axe head surfaced and began to come toward the shore. The divine side is the supernatural work of what God does. I want to tell you there's a divine side. You were singing about it in the very first chorus you were singing this morning. 2,000 years ago, God cut down a tree and threw it in the muddy waters of human failure. It was the cross of Calvary. It's the blood of Jesus. And God can cleanse and forgive and heal. Can you say amen? Yeah, that's the divine side. And let me tell you something on the divine side. Calvary says three things to us loud and clear. I think, yeah, I've got three, three things that I say about Calvary. Failures are not fatal. And life is not futile. And death is not final. Can you say amen? That's what the cross tells us today. Now, now quickly, look at the human side. Here's your responsibility. See, there's God's part, and here's our part. The human side is the prophet said to him. Did you hear what the prophet told him? Pick it up. Pick it up. Reach out right now. And you know what? You know how I'm going to close this? I want you to stand to your feet with me, and I want us to make some proclamations. Everybody stand to your feet with me right quick. We're, we're going we're, we're to make this come alive in all of our lives right now. I want you to make a couple of proclamations right from your heart. I'll read the, fir I'll read the first one, and then you give me the first one up there. Here it is. I'm a child of God, and I will be filled with the Spirit. Everybody? How many of you agree with that? Second proclamation. Give me the second one. God's cutting edge of power will mark my life. Come on. Absolutely. I'm going to be known by God's cutting edge of working and flowing and moving in my life. Look at the third one right quick. I confess every failure and I claim recovery. Come on, say it. I, I claim recovery. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo. Now, this may be necessary. I take authority over every demonic hindrance in Jesus' name. Satan, I rebuke you. Any area where Satan has tried to trip up your life, come on, take authority over it right now. I take authority over every demonic hindrance. Who? In Jesus' name. Glory to God. Now, make this proclamation right here. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day 
of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody, read it out loud. Be confident. Very thing that he... Yeah. And, and one last confession, proclamation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. <laughs> well, and then I, I, I put one more down there. I will complete my race with joy in the fullness of his spirit. I'm not going to die out just as an old, uh, critical, negative old preacher. I'm going to run this race to the end of the thing and be filled with the spirit of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.